Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hope you're doing well. We're having a great day. Hey, today we got a great guest for you. I'm excited to uh, share today's convo with you. Before we do, let me remind you that next week, yes, that's right, next week, you are going to be able to get your free ticket for the Speaker Lab Summit. Now, this is something that I've been telling you about for the past few weeks, and it is nearly here. We're going to be opening registration for that next week. The summit's going to be happening September 12th through the 23rd, but you're going to want to go ahead and grab your free ticket. Yes, that's right, free ticket. So you're going to be hearing all about that next week, but uh, we are going to have some of the best speakers, some of the top speakers in the industry that are going to be part of this event. Again, it's going to be totally free. You can watch from the comfort of your home. You don't have to travel anywhere. You don't have to, you don't even, you don't even have to get dressed, all right? Putting on pants is optional for this, but we've got a great lineup of speakers. So we've got people like Chris Brogan and Dory Clark, Chandler Bolt, Jeff Goins, John Jans, John Corcoran, John Lee Dumas, John Acuff, lots of Johns in there we're dropping on you. Uh, we'll have Ken Davis, Pam Slim, Pat Matt Flynn, Ray Edwards, Scott McCain, Bob Berg, Dan Miller, John Gordon, Josh Shipp, Mark Sanborn, Rory Vaden, Scott Stratton, Joe Calloway, Tim Sanders, James Clear, Andy Andrews. Oh, the list just goes on and on. That was just a handful of them. So you're not going to want to miss this. This is going to be so much fun. I'm telling you, this is, of anything we've done this year, this is the thing I'm really, really stoked about. Because we, these are, again, some of the best speakers in the business giving you, they're just opening their playbook, showing you how they have uh, built and grown their speaking business, how they deliver on stage. It's going to be great. You're gonna not going to want to miss it. So you're going to be able to register to get your free ticket starting next week. So be sure and pay attention and be on the lookout for that. All right, so for today, we are talking with my buddy Chad Cannon. Chad runs a, uh, a marketing agency. He does a lot with authors. So today, we're going to be talking a lot about how you can publish your first book, but also a little bit about the publishing industry, how it works, also how you can use a book in conjunction with your speaking. So we're going to be getting into that whole conversation and discussion today. Chad works with a lot of big-name authors and clients. He's been a, a VP in the publishing space before. So he really, really knows this stuff well, has a lot of experience, actually helped run a, a speaker's bureau for a little while as well. Uh, so this guy really knows this stuff. So let's get into it. Here's my conversation with my buddy, Chad Cannon. Enjoy. 
What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hey, today we are joined by my buddy Chad Cannon, who is the CEO and founder of the Chadwick Cannon Agency. Uh, he works a lot in the publishing space, has done a lot with speakers as well. Just helping brands' ideas spread and helping messengers share their message around the world. So excited to be hanging out with Chad today. He is a Cubs fan, so we're not going to hold that against him today. You know it. Uh, you know it. But they are dominating my Cardinals in the division, but that's neither here nor there. So, Chad, what's wait, up, wait. No, I, I got to say we're dominating i need to i need to say it you can't say it i'm gonna say it we're dominating you it is bad right now but that's all right we still got a a little bit left in the season so we'll see what will happen uh come october yes Uh, all right why don't you give us a quick nutshell of your what does your business look like i know that you run an agency you work a lot in the the publishing world what does your business look like today and and how's that involve speakers yeah, absolutely. So first off, thanks so much for having me, Grant. It's an honor to be here and love your podcast and just get so much from it. So just honored to be here. So as you said, founder and CEO of Chadwick Cannon Agency, which we're a digital marketing agency serving authors, publishers, really any kind of brand that has a story and a message. And we work to amplify those brands and ideas. And so that's primarily through digital marketing, helping grow email lists and ultimately drive more revenue, whether that's involved in the product development, launching a book or launching really any type of product. And so we work sometimes directly with the author, sometimes directly with a speaker, sometimes directly with the publisher. So it just really depends on kind of the career trajectory of where that person is and what their goals are. And you've been involved, I mean, today you run your own agency, but you've been involved in this in a variety of different facets. So kind of like take us back and walk us through what has been your experience in this speaker, author, publishing space? Absolutely. So started the agency about 18 months ago, and I'll kind of share how we got to there. But I started a speakers bureau, worked for outreach speakers and ended up starting just kind of as a an agent that was just hitting the phones, kind of calling and you know negotiating deals on behalf of our roster. And about six months into that, was doing really well and got promoted to GM. Uh, general manager was owned by a company called Outreach and then ended up growing that part of the division from half a million to about 3.8 million in about 18 months. And so one of the things we did was work really closely with our top level speakers and, and mid-level even to help actually develop their brand. And we gave them marketing support and really helped generate more leads for them. And that was back when pay-per-click was really big. And so we jumped in and, you know, we're spending dollars on pay-per-click and, you know, it was crazy the amount of leads we were getting for as little as we were spending. It kind of feels like the Facebook ad game today. So we really built that speakers bureau solely on pay-per-click. And, you know, a lot of people are down on speakers bureaus. Hey, they just put a bunch of people up on the roster and hope that the phone rings and, you know, that's part of it. But one of the reasons why we grew so fast was really developing relationships with some of our key speakers where we provided marketing support, brand support, grew, you know, made it easier, developed a good speakers reel, all that type of stuff. And this was before video was readily accessible to everyone. This was almost a decade ago. And so, you know, that led me into, you know, getting a bigger promotion at the company and they ended up moving headquarters. They were in San Diego. They moved to Colorado Springs. My wife and I decided that wasn't where we wanted to be and ended up getting the job at Thomas Nelson as VP of marketing for the nonfiction side of things at Thomas Nelson. And so spent a little over four years there. And then 18 months ago, jumped off and started my own agency based on a lot of the success we had at Thomas Nelson, big authors, launched a lot of books. Um, you know, some of the authors obviously had big speaking platforms, things like that. And, you know, Michael Hyatt, Lisa Turkhurst, Bob Goff, Donald Miller, Judah Smith, 
Sean Lowe, The Bachelor, for those Bachelor fans that are out there. There's, there's a bunch uh, of them out. My wife yeah. would be one of them. Yes. So, yeah, so that's kind of in a nutshell. And it really came to be a lot of the authors were just saying, hey, can you do this for me? You know, like help build the brand, not just sell more books. And so it was one of those things like enough people came to me. It was like proof of concept. It was like, I had to at least explore what that would look like and did that and figured out a business model that worked. And now, you know, we're 18 months in and have a team of five full-time and another five contractors that we keep busy and just a, a real fun season here at the agency. Nice, man. That's very cool. And what's interesting is you've, it seems like you've been on both sides of it. So you've worked on the speaker side of it. You've worked on the publishing side of it. How do you see that they go hand in hand? Do you think that speakers need to be authors? Do you think that authors need to be speakers? Like what's kind of your vantage point on that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think there's so much overlap. I mean, most speakers want to be authors and some authors that get book deals and they want to figure out, hey, how do I get more speaking engagements? Because they see that as a pipeline to sell books, which it totally is. It's like when you become an author, a book is a credibility factor. And ultimately, you're going to get more speaking gigs because you can say, hey, I published a book, even if it's self-published. And if you have a pretty active speaking schedule and have relationships and you're speaking and you've made a living on the road, you have a built-in distribution channel per se to be able to sell books. And so publishers see that as advantageous. I mean, I worked with a client, you know, we helped, you know, develop almost his whole sales spiel, the whole product table for him at events. And he almost made half a million dollars a year just selling product. Wow. And when we started working with them, he had one book. It was a $20 book. And we ended up creating other products and creating a suite with pretty high margin products and you know, ended up having a $60 package and a $100 package. And our costs were $20 and ended up being great. So there's opportunity there. But also, you know, he was started selling all these books and the book didn't really sell at all through traditional retail. But you know, over a two or three year period, I would say 80 to 90% of his sales happened at uh, not at retail, but actually at the events. And so it's a built in distribution channel that publishers still can make money on, even though it's not the traditional route. Yeah. And I would totally echo that just in my own experience. I have a self-published book. We had come out several years ago and we'd sold, we'd sold around 30,000 copies of it, but I would say 95% of those sales happened at events. Cause like you said that you have that built in opportunity where, you know, you speak and the audience likes it and they're willing to, uh, yes, I want to learn more or hear more. So I'm willing to spend, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 or, you know, whatever amount on books or a package of products there to learn more. And so you have that built in network instead of just the, I'm going to put it out on Amazon or I'm put it on my website and hope that people magically find out about it. Totally. And I mean, I'm sure you, when you had a book, it was such a credit, even a more credibility factor with, you know, whether the meeting planner or whoever was booking the events, they think of you differently by having a book right. versus not having a book. No, I think that's absolutely true. Like one of the things that I've always said is that oftentimes like decision makers, event planners, they're not just looking for a speaker. They're looking for an expert who happens to speak. Totally. And a lot yep. of times a book is a great tool to position yourself as that expert. So I'm curious, like, again, as someone who's, you've been on both sides of it from the publishing and from a speaker bureau, have you found that to be true? Like how necessary is it to have a book in order to get booked? I don't think it's a necessity. I think it definitely helps and it's advantageous because I think you're right. It is the expert piece of it. You know, they're not necessarily looking for an author to come speak unless you're 
a big named author and some people sometimes if you can just draw a crowd they don't necessarily care if you're a good speaker or not but that's very few and far between speaking engagements right you know they're looking for someone very specific that can talk on a topic whether it's at a school or whatever that by writing a book you set yourself up as that expert on that one thing that you are the answer to that one solution and that's what books do and it can be a lead generator too. You know, someone reads this book is like, oh, that'd be, you know, a perfect, that this person would be great to talk on that. So I don't think it's a necessity. And I've known plenty of people that have made great speaking careers without ever publishing a book. And I've known a lot of authors that have had very successful publishing careers without it. But if you look at the big picture, it's that's the minority, not the majority. Most of them, it's a combination. And I think the reason why it is that way is because they both work so hand in hand that they both, like they both kind of flow to each other, you know, like to sell books long-term, you need to be out building and being in front of your audience and to continue to be an expert in your field. Our just, you know, our culture expects almost a book, you know, for you to like, that's the way it happens. Some type of content creation, whether that's a blog or, you know, but a lot of times it ends up being in a book form. Yeah. So. Yep. Again, totally would agree with that. That again, it it's helpful. It's not. You can certainly get book to speak without a book, but it's not like it's going to hurt your cause if you have a if totally. you book. Assuming that you've you know if you've self published it, that you've done it well. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's talk about that for a second. So you've worked on the traditional publishing side, but I know that you certainly have experience in the just self publishing and versus traditional. What are the pros and cons of each? If I'm listening to this, going like I've got some book ideas in mind, and maybe even I'm wrapping up one, and I'm I'm starting to think through how this goes from from a Word document on my computer to actually being a physical product. What are your thoughts on the traditional versus self route? Yeah, so it really depends on where you're at. I think both are great options. I have a couple of clients that uh, were in the middle of helping them go through the self-publishing route. So while I'm a book purist and have spent time as a book publisher, I'm not the doom and gloom guy that says, hey, publishers are going to be extinct in two years or 20 years, or whatever. Publishers still add a lot of value to that mix in the sense that from an editorial perspective, and you kind of joked about it, but like assuming that they do self-publishing right, and there's more and more tools, more and more companies that that are what I would say hybrid publishers in that they do kind of the whole thing that a publisher does, but they don't provide in advance. So a traditional published kind of process would be, you know, you've got a book idea you would work with an agent. An agent would say, hey, this is a great book idea. We put together a book proposal, in essence, a business plan. That agent then you know, has relationships in the book publishing space with acquiring editors. So the editors at publisher ha- publishing houses make these decisions. And then an editor works with that agent to say, hey, this book, does this work in our program, our publishing program? Do we think this is sellable? Do we think Barnes & Noble buyers are going to care? Is, are they going to put this on their shelves? You know, can we make money at it? Like it's, you know, what I always say is every book is really a venture capitalist type of uh, endeavor for a publisher because traditional publishers, they'll pony up in advance, which there's actually a great uh, blog today from a literary agent. And I'd recommend kind of putting this in the show notes um, and I'll send it to you, Grant, from I'm totally blanking on his name right now, but it talks about what an advance is. And if you don't pay the advance back, what does that actually mean? And all that. So that actually kind of gets through a lot of questions that a lot of you know potential authors have, but they give you an advance to in essence, write the book and the royalties go against that advance until the advance is paid. And then you get royalties. So the nice thing about a publisher is you get paid and that advance 
could range depending on what that is. With self-publishing, that's not the case. And you also are eating all of the expense of editorial, book cover, marketing, all of that, that a publisher is going to do. So the publisher takes all the risk. And so, yeah, there's a lot of negativity about publishers, but they are taking a lot of risk and they also have a lot of expertise there. Not to say that in the self-publishing route, there aren't plenty of amazing people, but to do it right, I would tell people if you're looking to spend less than $20,000 to self-publish, um, unless you're just going straight Kindle ebook or things like that, you're probably not going to, you're not going to be proud of that product five years from now. You can do it, but it's not going to be something you're proud of. Right. Right. And I think uh, along those lines, I remember one thing someone told me years ago when I was self-publishing was that your self-published book shouldn't look self-published, yep. meaning that it shouldn't look like, you know, your third grade niece designed the cover for you. Like it needs to look like if this was on the shelf at Barnes and Noble, that it would fit in there. It looks like it belongs there. And it's not totally. something that you just kind of like threw together haphazardly, but there's really like some thought and it's done. It's just done with excellence. It's done the way that yeah. a traditional yeah. publisher would do yeah. it. In Guy Kawasaki wrote a great book called Ape. And that stands for, it's an acronym that stands for author for the A, publisher uh, for the P and entrepreneur for the E. So author, publisher, entrepreneur, like when you're a self-published author, you're all of those. So author, you write the book. Publisher means like you're doing all the activities, editorial, sales, marketing. And that's where the entrepreneurial comes in. Like you've got to treat this like a business endeavor. You've got to have a P&L like, hey, what are my costs? What am I going to, you know, like otherwise you're just writing a book and getting it out there, but it may never do anything. And for some people, that's what they want. Like they want to put their life story in print so that their family members can read it down the line. Right. You know, like that is literally, so if that's your goal, like awesome, go for it. But if it's a business venture, I would highly recommend picking up Ape, author, publisher, entrepreneur by Guy Kawasaki. It's a few years old, but it's got, you know, I think he's a big believer in all of that. Like, and he's got great tools to say, hey, if you're looking to kind of get it designed on the cheap, but still have it be excellent, uh, he's got great resources. Yeah. And I like the way you frame that, that, you know, if you're just writing to tell your story and you're just like, I don't even care if anybody buys it. I just want to give some copies to my family. It's just for fun. And it's just kind of a bucket list item. And I check it off the list. There's nothing wrong with that at all. By all totally, means, absolutely totally. do that. But like you said, if you want it to be a part of your business, you need to treat it as such and you need to do it with excellence. If you want people to take you and your product seriously, you have to take it seriously. And there's definitely, there's pros and cons both ways. You know, like with a traditional publisher, you're going to have much more distribution. It's going to be a lot easier to get into major retailers and bookstores. But like you said, they're taking on a lot of the risk. And so you're not going to get as much financially for it. Whereas if you do the self-publishing route, you may make more, but you're going to be spending more upfront as well. Totally. Uh, so you have yeah. there's pros and cons both ways. Yeah. And two more clarifying thoughts on that self-publishing route. I mean, distribution is a massive piece of it. Um, you know, Barnes and Noble up until recently, they won't carry a self-published title. Uh, there was actually an article that said they're planning on it in one of the upcoming quarters, they're going to be doing some testing where they're actually going to carry self-published titles. So out of the box, if you self-publish a title, whether it's your own company or you know through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, which is the largest bookstore, granted, it's a small percentage of the overall market share, isn't going to carry your book. But if you're just, you know, so out of the gate, you're going to be looking at Amazon. They can obviously print, you know, ship print books and then eBooks. So you're, you, you can get it on iBooks the nook and all of that, but actually getting the physical product in stores is a huge, huge endeavor being a self-published author, which is why hybrid publishers are growing. And you mentioned making more money. That's a big decision. What, what people are doing, you know, like 
with self-publishing like Seth Godin, you know, he's obviously had some very successful published books and some successful self-published books. And he's a big advocate for self-publishing. But if you look at his sales of a published book versus a sales uh, self-published book, his sales are almost 10 to 15 to one what his self-published titles are. But you could argue he's probably making the same amount of money at the end of the day. So your question is, do you want to make more money or do you want to have more books in the marketplace? And if Seth Godin is making the same amount of money and he, you know, I always say is like, he's the guy that created the email list. Like he was building an email list before anyone knew that was important, you know? So, and that's how he sold most of his books. But if you have like, but his published books have sold 10 to 15 times more. So there's obviously value in a publishing relationship. Totally. And also, and you would know this better than I would, but I really like the analogy that you use about a publisher almost being like a venture capitalist, that whenever they are are picking books to publish, that they're taking a huge, huge financial risk. And so some of those risks pay off massively that nobody thought would be, you know, a huge hit. And for whatever reason, it stuck and it landed and it was a a massive hit. And so, you know, the author makes money and the publisher makes money. At the same time, there's plenty of books, I'm sure, that a publisher rolls the dice on and they just flop. They just bomb for whatever reason. And just it's just not a fit. So all that to say that while there are huge pros to going with the traditional publisher, there's also a lot of people interested in sell or in traditional publishing and not everyone that's going to throw a book proposal at a publisher is going to be picked up. So it's kind of like, um, it's almost like Shark Tank, you know, where oh, yeah. uh, there's plenty of people who are sitting at home going like, I should be on that show, right? But there's only a handful of people that actually get on the show. There's only a handful of those people that are on the show that actually get funding or investing from one of the sharks. Uh, and the same thing is true with a book is that not every traditional or not every author is going to be picked up by a traditional publisher if there are uh, like even just give me some context here like if when you were at Thomas Nelson and and you may just know this across the board like what's the percentage of trying to get picked up by a publisher like how many proposals do they get versus how many do they actually accept well it's mind-boggling you know we at Thomas Nelson we were a, a bigger publisher and so we really had a rule there are exceptions to every rule but the rule was we would not look at a book proposal unless it was represented by an agent and the reason being was that agent is in essence the first filter, the yep. first decision maker to see if this book even has merit. Because if we didn't only take book proposals from agents, we would probably get thousands and thousands per day. Yeah. There are certain publishers that prefer not to work with agents because they can negotiate better deals and you know, and their model works that way. At Thomas Nelson, that wasn't the case because we were a bigger publisher, you know, things like that, and you know, good and bad for both of those. But I would say you mentioned Shark Tank. I think it's a great analogy because we would meet twice a month, the leaders of our publishing group, and we would pour over proposals. And we would look at probably 40 to 50 proposals in those meetings, which meant we probably got 250 to 300 sent from agents, but only 40 or 50 made it from the editor eye of the proposal to saying, hey, we should make a decision on the, as a team on these 40 or 50 that we should take a closer look at. And then out of those 40 or 50, there was probably only three or four that we would say, Hey, we should go after this mm-hmm. per month, you know? And so, and it was, it's a shark tank conversation, a lot of it, you know, which is, you know, really fun, but it also like, sometimes we joke, we're like, we're, we're killing someone's dream right now, you know, but uh, it's kind of the nature of it. Right. Right. And I think that's, you know, so if you said that you take three or four a month out of, 250 that have come in. And again, that's going through a huge, huge gatekeeper and filter of just getting an an agent, which is a huge challenge just in in and of itself. So you said even without an agent, there might be 
thousands and thousands of proposals that would come in on a monthly basis and you might pick three, you know, like the odds are just, they're, they're very, very small. So again, keep in mind from the perspective of the traditional publisher that their job is to make money. They're not running a nonprofit. So they want to find things that they are willing to bet on. And the ideally our chances of success and our chances of selling a ton of books with this author or with this book concept or this whatever it may be that we feel like are really, really strong versus some of the alternatives. Totally, totally. All right, so let's go with this then. So let's assume now I've got my book. Let's assume that I've got a self-published book and I'm doing some speaking here or there. What are some ways that I can best utilize my book to either A, get speaking engagements? Oh, let's just start with that. Let's start with that. How do, how do I, is there a way that I can use my book to get speaking engagements that can help my cause? Totally. I mean, it, from a grassroots perspective, I mean, then there's a couple things. Obviously, I, the web you probably know this better than I do. The world that you're in, what you're coaching is the web is a 24 seven sales tool. You're probably getting most of your bookings from people seeing you on the web, someone, a referral or whatever. So you want to make sure that the book, whether that's in your bio or on your website or whatever, that kind of sets you up as that expert is front and center. You know, it's not hidden. It's something you're proud of. But the other thing is, is like, you know, really grassroots cold calling, you know, like your books, a, a phenomenal foot in the door. If you've got places you want to speak or there's opportunities, you know, meeting planners, I mean, I'm sure there's lists out there, you know, go ahead and send a, a do a mailer, like try sending out to a hundred people, do a hundred books, do a very personalized letter, you know, kind of use the book as a gift to kind of get your foot in the door, start a conversation. That's kind of really more of a grassroots cold call type approach, but the books, I think the book's a great idea for that. You know, as far as, the you know other ideas. I mean, the the book just by someone reading the book gives the chance that there's a conversation around the table. Like I, we say in marketing, the best marketing tool is the book. Like good content. Like someone reads it, they then sit around the dinner table or a beer or whatever with a friend, and they start talking about you know that idea that was mentioned in that book. Like what kind of drove them forward, or if it was a fiction book, like what entertained them. You know that type of thing. Most of these are speakers, so I'm assuming they're probably going to be nonfiction writers. You know, that's one of the reasons why we would focus our efforts marketing a physical book versus an ebook, because having a physical book out in the wild is your best marketing tool. Yeah. Because an ebook, when's the last time you asked anyone what they're reading on their Kindle? Right. right. Oh, because it's like scary. They can be, you know, like you don't know what they're going to say. But with a physical, if you're on an airplane, you're like looking over and like, oh, there's safe you know, the cover looks safe, you know, and like, you're willing to ask those questions. Whereas an ebook that just doesn't happen. It's just kind of more intrusive. And so I'm always big on just kind of getting the book into the wild, whether that be through influencers or sending it out or um, and what we have found is, you know, once you get five or 10,000 books into the marketplace or the wild, you'll start to just get people coming to your website saying, because they got your book and, you know, want you to be involved somehow, some way, because they were moved by it. Right, right. And again, so that's a very grassroots process. And, and I think an important note on that is that works, but it just takes time, you know, and, mm -hmm. and a lot of that comes back to, again, creating a really, really strong book. You know, the same thing is true with speaking. Your best marketing is showing up and doing an insanely good talk and presentation. And so really spending some time on the talk itself makes a huge difference. So let's assume that I've got a book and I'm getting some gigs here and there. Is there any good ways to utilize books with speaking so that I can either sell more books back in the room or even just sell? ideally being able to sell books up front with the booking itself. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, if you've got leverage of that and you're speaking on the topic of your book, you know, 
people love to be able to give books as gifts to the people that are going. Granted, you know, certain events that doesn't necessarily work, but you know, if you're speaking in businesses or especially meeting planners, like they love to be able to, you know, so even if you're like, I wouldn't include it as part of your speaking fee. And I don't know fully your, like, I wouldn't necessarily give away your book, like depending on where you're at. Like sometimes if you're just looking to kind of get practice and get out there and kind of perfect your talk, it's different. Mm -hmm. But if you're really like looking at, building a business, I would say, get your speaking fee, but also as you're talking with the meeting planner, negotiate, you know, potentially, hey, if you buy a book for everyone, give them just a crazy discount because you want them to walk away. And then you don't have to worry about selling it there. I mean, you could still have it there because people, if they like your talk, they're going to buy multiple copies and give it as gifts and things like that. So there's that. Um, if you don't do that, there's obviously, we would really coach our speakers to drop it multiple times in the speaking engagement without being arrogant about it or self-fulfilling about it, like, you know, braggadocious. Mm -hmm. But if there's a, like, some people will have it up on stage, read something from it that makes sense in the overall talk, you know, so where you're not actually selling it, you're just kind of, you know, mentally just letting people know that there's this resource and that you are speaking out of this resource. And so that's always helpful. You know, John Maxwell, people joke about it. I mean, he's a master at that. And, you know, the other thing is, is depending on where you're at, sometimes it's better if you're not good at selling is to ask the person who is hosting you or the MC to do that before or after, you know, if you've got AV potential, like in your intro, or if there's video intro, like to make sure that that's there, you know, so anytime you can drop that hint that you have a book and resources available for people, do that, but do it in a way that doesn't feel over the top and super in your face would be my recommendation because you there's that borderline of you're the stage, you're there, you're hired to deliver value and content for the people. And then if you knock it out of the park, they're going to buy your book, right. you know? So. Right. No, and you're exactly right that I think we've all sat through presentations that just the whole thing felt like a sales pitch for their product and it just felt awkward and it felt uncomfortable and it just left a bad taste in your mouth versus just like you said, kind of the subtle hints of, you know, telling a story that's from your book or just even referencing, hey, in my book, one of the things that I talk about is just kind of helping connect the dots for the audience that this is something that you offer. And I think there's nothing wrong with, especially at the end of, hey, if you're looking for something more and just like a quick, you know, 30, 60 second blurb on the book and what it's about and the nutshell of it and how people can get it, that makes a big difference as well. So that if people do want to take that next step with you and get a copy of the book, there's absolutely an option to totally. do that. Yeah. And that last 30 to 60 seconds is, you know, whether that's a, how you transition to that super important is that even if you had a 60 minute talk, there's only, you can't cover the whole book. You're probably going to cover one concept in that book. Yeah. So there's going to be so much more and whether it's 30,000 words or 50,000 words, like you could never say that in 60 minutes. So, you know, letting them know, I think it's important. You know, one reason why people aren't going to buy the book in the room is, well, I just heard everything that guy's got good to say, right, you know, right. so why should I buy the book? So you really need to create that distinction that there's a lot more in the book and it's a deeper experience with, you know, your expertise than just hearing you for 30 minutes or 60 minutes. Right. And it's easy. And sometimes you can tease something that's in the book. I remember a, a buddy of mine, he had a book for high school students. And in the book, he told a story about, I think it was like he prank called the White House like every day for a month. And so he mentions that in passing at the end. He's like, hey, by the way, one of the things in this book is the story about how I prank called the White House every day for a month. And it's like, 
I don't know where that story's going, but I, I want to read the story now. I want to know how that thing played out. So even just something like that that just piques people interest that, that makes them want to know more. Again, whether it's you know a humorous story or just a, you know, hey, we, we talked about three points in today's presentation. I got seven more in the book where we go more in depth on this subject or topic that can work well. Okay, one of the things I'm curious about, and this is just kind of coming back to something you mentioned before. You said that you had built when you were, you were doing the bureau thing that you had really built the bureau primarily through paid advertising. Do you feel like that still works today for getting speaking engagements? And I know you're a bit removed from that world today, but I was just curious on your experience on that. I would. I, I mean, I, I definitely think so. If you know your niche and you know what your keywords are, I mean, that was the that's the whole thing about pay per click is you got to know what the keywords are. What are people searching for for like that you're going to provide a solution for. And when, you know, we were faith-based and so we had six or seven keywords that we ranked very high on, you know, we ended up building SEO into that. We were always one or two in the natural rank, the organic search, but then we were also one or two in the paid. So we were there twice and that's Google. And it depends on also how much you're, you know, like what your gig, what your speaking fee is and how that scales. If you're a speaker and it's, you learn that, Hey, it costs $500 on advertising and you get paid $2,500, like that, you would do that all day, every day, right? Right, right. Um, Facebook ads is the same thing. Like if I were a speaker right now, I would be figuring out how do I build my email list? How do I deliver content around what I specialize in speaking wise? And a small percentage of those people are going to want you to speak, you know? And so provide that and let people make it easy for them to know that that's out there. And Facebook ads, if you're pushing to, I don't know how detailed and how savvy the audience is, but it's probably all across the board is to have a lead magnet. That is something of value that is centered around your content that someone could get value almost immediately by providing their email address. And then you send them a PDF. And then in that email over the next week to three months, you develop a relationship with them to the point where they can't imagine their life without you. Like that's how you want to think about your email relationship with them. It's like, how, do you, how can you become indispensable in their life? And so when you start thinking about that, it, it changes the game as to what content, you de- what content you develop and how you communicate to them. Beautiful. Well said. Well, and I can't imagine my life without you either, Chad. So uh, <laughs> on that note, if people want to find out more about you, where can we go? Yeah, chadwickcannon.com is the website. It's just right now a blog, uh, blog twice a week, primarily in the publishing space. And so we've got resources there, you know, lead magnets, things like that, free PDFs, but also just active content on a weekly basis, uh, twice a week, really centered around publishing, book marketing, and yeah, all across the board. And the other thing that I'm doing right now, and we've got a lot of speakers that want to be authors and authors that want to be speakers is author coaching network where we're actually helping people no matter what situation they're in, whether they're a self-published author, like they're wanting to write a book, whether it's published or self-published and some that are in the published space have had multiple books, but their sales just aren't seeing the results they wanted. I've got a coaching network. We're actually starting our third in September and you can go to chadwickcannon.com forward slash author coaching and they can get more information about what we cover. But really that's a six month kind of coaching opportunity where we do video teaching calls, you know, community Facebook group, in-person mastermind. And uh, it's just a, a lot of fun. And it's one of the most favorite things I do in the business. Beautiful. Well, Chad, thanks for the time, buddy. Thanks for uh, sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us. And uh, most importantly, go Cardinals. Go Cubs. Thanks, Grant.
All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Chit chat chataroo with Chad Cannon. Good stuff, huh? You like that? You dig that? Good stuff indeed. All right, so uh, just a quick reminder, next week we are going to be starting uh, to open up a registration for you to get your free ticket for the Speaker Lab Summit. This is something you don't want to miss. It's going to be a virtual online summit where we're going to have 40 of the best speakers in the business sharing with you their their strategies and tactics, all about how they've built and grown their business, how they practice, how they rehearse, how they write stories, how they use humor. All of that's going to be packed in there. It's going to be free. And again, you can register for that starting next week. So be on the lookout for that, my friend. All right, that wraps up episode 90. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.